Welcome to the Shipwreck Records podcast from BAT TV, where we sit down with dance music's best and brightest to hear about their lives, music, and the eight records they'd save while shipwrecked in space. I'm Chandler Shortledge, and today we're talking to James Abila. Many of you will already know James, the Southampton-based DJ and producer who rose to fame virtually overnight after winning a bedroom DJ competition in the early 2000s. He then became Sasha's official warm-up DJ, following the UK Titan, who was then the biggest DJ on Earth, on a whirlwind tour around the globe. And it's fair to say James hasn't really looked back since. Though as we discussed, these days he's slowed things down somewhat, after coming close to burnout more than once. We also talk about how social media has changed becoming famous since his early rise, what it was like growing up with a techno-loving, raving father, his difficult year in 2017, and a chance encounter with comedians Dave Chappelle and Jon Stewart that wound up with one of them DJing and the other buying tacos. James also gives us the early scoop on his new show called Detail, which will see him play from start to finish and oversee nearly every aspect of the party. Detail will premiere in London sometime in 2019. And now, James Avila. All right, we are here at the uh, Roland Artist Center Berlin. I'm with uh, James Avila. How are you? Hey, I'm very good, thanks. Good, good. Good to um, be here. Your dad, something I found out and I didn't know when I was researching this interview, is your dad was a pretty massive raver. He yeah. liked uh, Sven Vaith and Tony DeVitt. Yeah. Um, what was that like growing up? Like, Did you understand what he was getting up to? or? Uh, not really, no, I didn't. I remember uh, he would come home on a Sunday... Uh, having been raving in a field or actually yeah he went to trade many times to see Tony DeVitt and uh, we had this club in Bournemouth that used to go to and see Sven Vaff and Carl Cox um, so he would come home and, and brag about still being awake and I, I would find that amazing <laughs> you know, it's probably 11 or something like that in your head what did you think he was doing like did you know he was dancing or watching music or I don't know. I think I was just more think, more sort of thinking of, hey, you know, how come I can't have like sleepovers and stuff with my friends over, and we have to go to bed at a certain time, and he gets to stay out all night. That and, does uh, that does actually and, seem a little hypocritical. Yeah, and he would come home and have this like cheeky sort of, I've been out all night grin, which, <laughs> I, you know, I know that for myself now, but back then I didn't really realize. <laughs> so he obviously you said that Sven, we said Sven Vaith and Tony Vaith, he was into mm. pretty hard techno, right? Yeah, yeah, and he's he still is. It's kind of, it's not. I don't know. It's not aging him well. <laughs> he like pulls up outside my house, and I can still hear like he, you know the speakers in his car. I know when he's when he's showing up because I can just hear, you know, like one hundred thirty-four BPM. That's kind of amazing. My Did- yeah, it's amazing. I've got some like quite snooty neighbours that uh, are a bit. I don't know. They kind of look down their noses at that kind of thing. Does uh, does he still go out? Does he still go raving? Yeah, he does, and uh, he well, he goes out when I'm playing. Yeah, and embarrasses me further. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the last time he he came out, uh, yeah, oh, it was just a mess at the end of the night. You know, <laughs> putting him in an Uber, and I was looking after my sister as well. He was absolutely hammered. So uh, yeah, when I have a gig in my hometown, I try and keep it quiet. But 
They always find out somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the the videos of Sven Vase brother? Uh, no, I haven't actually. Uh, he's like on stage dancing as hard as he can in front of everybody is that is that your dad yeah it is yeah, <laughs> yeah. and he would have his shirt off as well if he was allowed i'm sure nice but he just does he doesn't care and that's kind of nice so obviously he Fact, likes it's not for me but. yeah yeah right he, but obviously he likes your music uh yeah some of it he likes the hardest stuff <laughs> <laughs> he d- he's not gonna like any of the music that I've, I've picked today i wouldn't have thought no probably not um, he also was a manager and techno buyer for a record store, I understand. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Movement Records, it was called. And then it became Adrenaline Records. It was actually bought by a, a famous hardcore DJ called Hixie. And he had like a huge career with that sort of happy hardcore. I think Toy Town was one of his one of his big hits. It was sort of pretty pretty cheesy but yeah yeah <laughs> but it's maps it's massive that stuff i remember he was on tv adverts and yeah so who's my boss after my dad but you you spent you spent a lot of time in there in your formative years i think yeah probably yeah a wasted childhood maybe. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know about that i don't know about that um and then i saw uh it eventually went out of business um yeah, it became a tanning salon, and yeah. now the building's been completely demolished. Yeah. So I was, like, really upset when it became a tanning salon, and now I just wish the tanning salon was still there. <laughs> <laughs> At least have the building. Have mm. you ever thought about opening your own shop one day? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, one of my best mates is always like, yeah, we should do, like, a coffee shop, record shop thing, which is, sounds like a great idea. And I, I love coffee, and I love records, but... I don't like working too hard. <laughs> Sounds like it would be a lot of hard work and, you know, for not much money. Definitely make more money out more money out of the coffee. Yeah. You could just tell other people what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not I don't think I'd be a great boss. <laughs> um, why don't you just tell us about your first track? Uh it is um well, this is Orange Juice and Rip It Up. And this reminds me of when I used to DJ at a club in Southampton called the Rhino. Me and my mate Johnny would go back to my friend's house, uh, Colin, and uh, we would have like tunnel vision. We were so into house music, we would not want to play anything else. He had decks, so we'd finish playing in the club and then uh, go back to Colin's. But every now and again, he would sort of edge in and try and educate us musically. And uh, yeah, I think this is where I first heard this. And uh, thinking back to uh, Thinking back to it, I, I love this record, but couldn't pinpoint what it was. And it's actually one of the first tracks that has a Roland 303. I hope to go. 
big break came in the early 2000s after you won a bedroom mix competition and then shortly after began touring with uh with sasha do you think that kind of thing could still happen today or is there too much competition it could happen you hear about it you know in the edm circles you know discovered avici right and i think if you're in a position like that with lots of power and influence and you know you're willing to let the rungs of the ladder down for someone else to to climb up um it can happen i mean i'd love to do that for someone else but i've never really been in a position like that where i can help someone to that degree um the way that sasha and also lee burridge helped me out um but yeah i suppose it, it could happen but maybe not in the un- underground scene so much what do you think not in the underground scene um well i mean it could happen within within the the scene i suppose but not not to the degree where you know i was going on tour with sasha as his warm-up dj and it was like a drop in the ocean like the promoters were paying his fee and like my i don't know my fee comparatively it was probably like the booking fee uh so it's easy for it to happen um at that time sasha was the number one dj in the world and was like in the dj mag charts um for a couple of years in a row and that that was right at that time so the agency, his agency, they were just like, oh, can you give the warm-up slot to this guy? And, you know, we've got this new guy. And they would just be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. You right. know? So I think it's a lot harder to do that. I've, I've tried to get some gigs for my friends and, you know, they, you know, they have to play for free and whatever. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you said at that time, uh, it's really bizarre. It's totally insane. My life, my whole life <laughs> has just been turned upside down. Were you ready for what came of that? Uh no, actually, and also, I'd never traveled anywhere, so my idea of DJing was just getting to play music, but I didn't think about all the flights and sleepless nights, um, so I think the traveling really took a while for me to get used to. Now, you know, I don't think about it. I just put my earphones in, and I've got my whole, like, traveling mantra. I just have a bubble, pretty much. I don't see or hear anything else. I just, it's all very autonomous. Um but I think that took a while to get used to. Did you ever get close to burnout or anything like that? Yeah, I think so a few times. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing it for a while. Um, I think on the 
the British Airways app. It says I've been to Mars and back like three times or something. <laughs> <laughs> they have a little thing that you can load up and it shows you the, the distance that you've traveled. And that's just with that airline. Other airlines are available. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do to counteract the, the burnout? Did you just stop stop touring so much? Or? No, I didn't. Stupidly, I just carried on, powered <laughs> through it. And I probably played some really terrible sets as a result of it. Um, these days, I'm a lot wiser and, and I do turn down gigs much more frequently there are less gigs but also there are um you know there are some which i just say no i'm not i don't want to do a shopping center in macedonia yeah something like that yeah <laughs> less 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 gigs but better yeah and also because i'm you know if i play less gigs i have more time to prepare and i go in you know more relaxed and uh take the time to research the club like see who's playing before me and after me and really you know, I go in with a, even if I've never been there before, I can go in with, you know, sort of pre prepared mind. Yeah. Is that type of preparedness, is that common amongst DJs or is that some just a James Avila special? I, I never used to be like it. I don't know what happened. <laughs> and maybe after the burnout, I've turned into this sort of obsessive compulsive person, like even for today, um, choosing these tracks. Although actually I do think, to be fair, like when you say, oh, you're going to be stranded somewhere with eight tracks. It's a pretty hard question to it's, answer. It's a big one. It's a big one. I had a playlist of 50, which I've whittled down. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, do you wish things maybe would have moved a little bit slower? Yes, I think so. Yeah, because I was quite young, you know, and I did, I made some questionable programming choices for sure. You do that when you're younger, though. I, I try and forgive myself daily. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, why don't you tell us about your second track? Uh, this second track is Talk Talk and Believe in You, and it's from Spirit of Eden. It's sort of rumoured to be about his brother, Mark Hollis, the lead singer. And uh, the, the album, Spirit of Eden, was recorded over um, a year-long sort of improvisation session in a church, in a studio in a church. And so you can hear the choir at the end of this track, and... And it's really an influential piece of music, I think. Like you can, you can pinpoint lots of Radiohead, Elbow, and and many many other artists actually um, drawing from this track alone. Yeah, they're probably my favourite band. I think they, Depe I would say Depeche Mode was my favourite act for a long time. And then I don't know something about the the later albums, the later Talk Talk album, Spirit Spirit of Eden. And uh, even Mark Hollis's solo album, which you can just play over and over. And I think it's because of the way it's recorded, like um, lots of improvisations, nothing ever repeats hardly. And so you're always hearing something new. And they would try lots of like, lots of strange ways of recording things. Like each member of the band would start on a different downbeat. So everyone's playing to a different downbeat. And yeah, it's got some really interesting results. Street some 
when you came up, it was a, a very different time. Um, obviously, there was no Facebook, no Instagram. Mm. I mean, the internet was even still had, kind of nascent. No, well, I had dial-up, and I was on the Global Underground message board. That was <laughs> very helpful, actually. I sort of cultivated a fan base on there, and I used to send out my mixtapes to people on there. People would private message me. Really? Yeah. Before yeah. you were... Like blew well, up. Actually, yeah, they private messaged me and send me emails to my hotmail address. That's how long ago <laughs> this was. <laughs> um, yeah, I would actually say that really boosted my profile and cost me a fortune as well. Well, my girlfriend at the time <laughs> in the internet bills because it was quite expensive then to use dial-up. Yeah, I guess that's you know. Don't think about that now, do you? No, quite weird. no. But I guess that's um, that's sort of the precursor to soundcloud or mm. you know sharing getting your profile out there somehow really yeah yeah um are you are you glad that you grew that you came up at a time where social media wasn't as prevalent as it is now yeah because i think it makes you overthink everything and it, it also senses you and you feel afraid sometimes to post something because because of the reaction you know i think uh you only got to look through like youtube comments and, and i think that's the worst place for uh for that so i try and stay away from that but um yeah i think yeah i'm probably not as brave as i was then in terms of like putting stuff out there now everything's like scrutinized a lot more because i know it's going to get scrutinized by everyone else so i'm glad because i think that back then i definitely wouldn't have had the confidence to have been sending out all those demos yeah yeah i was i was gonna ask like what do you think how do you think that changes the way um, younger generations view making a name for themselves I well I think now they're probably you know they've grown up with it and don't know anything different so maybe um, it, it's yeah this doesn't affect them in the way that it affects me but I do find you know it's, it is true what they say like if I spend a while on an Instagram feed I'm just mindlessly looking down it I'm, I find myself becoming grumpy <laughs> and, and I don't know why but I think, you know, I'm not one that really compares myself to everyone else, but I think subconsciously there's always that part that will do it anyway. And, yeah, I, I put that down to to that, I think. Yeah, I think that's just human nature. Yeah, you, yeah. You see other people, you compare yourselves. I don't I don't even think that it's conscious. Yeah, if you stay off Instagram for a day, it's, it's actually quite nice. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's you have to do it now. It's part of the job. Right, and it's part of the job I'm really terrible at. <laughs> <laughs> um, I speaking of Instagram, I I often see DJs complaining about quote Instagram DJs. Do you know mm. that term? Uh, yeah, I think I've seen it. On, on, probably on Instagram. Yeah. Actually, yeah. <laughs> do you do you see it as a problem? Uh, well, you know, it is a problem, I guess. But it's it's the promoters and and the people that are encouraging that that you know that aren't prepared to look deeper for genuine you know talent i guess right yeah only look at the the numbers yeah yeah it's not quite so bad now i think people are wising up a bit um but there was a time where you know you could go and do a tour of asia on the back of your fake instagram likes yeah you know, it's but I think now it's, yeah, like I say, it's people are, are wising up to it with all the sort of Cambridge Analytica and all of that <laughs> stuff going on. Steve Bannon making DJs famous. Mm. Um, why don't you tell us about your third track? It is uh, Boards of Canada, 
a beautiful place in the country. I think I probably heard this uh, on Marianne Hobbs' radio show at about two in the morning, whenever it was. And I was really ill. I had like a fever. And I was sharing a one-bedroom studio apartment with my girlfriend. Just it didn't work out. Don't try and live with someone in one room. It doesn't for longer than a year. Uh, um, anyway, I was super ill and I had my headphones on, of course, because she was asleep. Um, and I felt terrible and I put my head out the window and it was raining and, it was, and because I had a fever, it was just so nice. And this track came on and it was, it's one of those things that I'll always remember. And every time I hear it, I feel really ill. <laughs> no, I don't. So I know I know you said you don't think you're you have the great a great grasp of it, but um, just 
I, I think you, it looks like you've embraced the role of social media fairly well. Um, was that something that came naturally to you? No, I'm re really reluctant. <laughs> like, they've just put this new TV thing on Instagram. I'm like, no, it was fine as it was. Stop adding things and changing things. It's funny because people do think I'm a bit like, oh, he's this tech guy and he's always looking at future technologies and all that stuff. But I'm also really old school. You know, I love, I like scratching and analog and that sort of traditional style of DJing. And, uh, yeah, I'm always a bit reluctant to... to up like, I've got my Mac in my bag there. It's on Mavericks. I actually have a laptop at home, which is on the newest um, OS, but, yeah, I haven't, I've not, that's not even, like, secure anymore. Anyone can hack into it if I'm on a Wi-Fi network. And you resist, not, resist change. Yeah, I do. It's got... Also, it's got, like, a load of plugins and things, which just... Oh, I'd have to get, like, new versions of it. And, oh, the yeah. headache. Is that just with technology, or is that everywhere in your life? Uh, yeah, I guess it runs through many aspects <laughs> of my life. Yeah, one foot in the past, one foot in the future. Yeah, I, I saw a great photo with you of uh, it's, it was you and uh, the for anybody who doesn't know the former Daily Show host John Stewart on Instagram. Oh yeah, is he a fan of yours? Are you a fan of his? What's the story behind that? Okay, oh, this is great. I wanted. Oh, I've been telling everyone about this. They will <laughs> listen. This is like my bragging thing at the moment. So I did this gig in El Paso. Um, and it was a hotel outdoors with a pool and stuff like that. And it was amazing. And uh, he was at the bar at the back of the event, um, just sort of hanging out. He had a gig there with Dave Chappelle, who was also there, by the way. They were just there hanging out together at the bar whilst I was playing. And then afterwards, I finished playing, packed all my stuff up, and then... Um, someone from the hotel and the promoter came over and said, "Oh, do you want to go and hang out with John Stewart and Dave Chappelle? They're in, they're in the back room behind the bar." So I met him, and he went to bed pretty quickly. But I stayed there listening to Dave Chappelle DJ off his iPod for about three hours. <laughs> was he, he good? To, yeah, because he was playing all this old, like exactly what you'd sort of expect, really, like all this old rare groove of funk and disco and soul stuff. It was really great, and uh, he bought everyone like tacos at three in the morning. It was a mad experience. That's that's legendary. It doesn't sound real, does that's it? That's well, ridiculous. I know, and, uh, and I'm glad I'm finally getting this out there. It feels, <laughs> re it feels great. Um, but I didn't really know who John Stewart was too much. Um, but my friend Eamon uh, is a massive fan, so I was texting him photos of us, and just to make him jealous. I was going to ask uh, when I saw that. I, I was going to ask, are you political or? Uh, not really, but I have become a little bit tangled up in the whole Brexit thing, which I uh, I voted to remain. Um, I probably shouldn't get into it. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I think I think everybody. I've kind of upset. I've actually like got podcasts on my phone, like the Brexit cast. And all this. <laughs> There's one uh, I listen to called Romaniacs. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've become a little bit obsessed with it. Every night before I go to bed, I get on Twitter, hashtag Brexit. Oh, what's going on today? So when it's all happened and it's going to be over, I'll probably have to find something else to obsess over. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't think you're the only one. Hmm. Yeah, it's a weird time. It's a weird time. I actually fell out with my dad over this because he voted for it. And uh, uh, yeah, so. Your techno-loving dad. And I, I, you know, <laughs> he would vote the same way again. Uh, he likes to rub rub me up the wrong way with it on purpose, I think. I should have told him there'd be no more German techno. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> Sven Vaith, your hero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want you to tell us about your fourth track. It is, um, this is Elliot Smith and Speed Trials. And uh, this is kind of funny because I first heard this through the promoter of We Love Space in Ibiza, Mark Broadbent. Um, and we'd be listening to like Jeff Mills in the club with his 909, smashing the living crap out of it. Am I allowed to say that? Yes. Okay, yeah. right. <laughs> um, and then we'd go back to his uh, his apartment in Ibiza and just listen to like folky singer-songwriter songs. And um, yeah, we'd just sit around like a couple of indie kids <laughs> after, after hearing Jeff Mills smash it. Um, yeah, so that reminds me of this. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the new Star Wars movies. Have you right. have you been happy with all of them so far? I have like bits and pieces. Yeah, you know, I've enjoyed them all. Um, I even enjoyed Solo, which, by the way, some of was filmed. Some of it was filmed just down the road from me in Southampton um, at Forley Power Station. In fact, the opening shot you can see kind of where I live in the background. Yeah, all that like uh, car chase stuff at the start. That's where Solo was filmed, and my friend got a job there working on the set like sweeping the decks and stuff um i really like rogue one that was probably my favorite of the new ones but i think because it played into uh you know it's what we call fan service i think it played into that real nostalgia old star wars thing so many old references and i love like all the old stormtroopers um yeah i am resistant to change just going back like when they they updated the stormtroopers and made them rounder and look like I don't know Audi TTs. I was like, ah, don't know. I like the old ones. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think I'm just getting old. That's what it is. Yeah. Speaking of Star Wars or er, the stormtroopers, I saw you. A photo <laughs> I knew, of you. I knew this is coming. Had <laughs> <laughs> ass. Wearing a full full size replica of a stormtrooper outfit. Is that is that yours? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
it's, it's about as close as you can get to having an original one. There's a company in Manchester called RS Prop Masters, and they have an original suit from from uh, Empire Strikes Back, and they so they cast the the suits that they make off of that. And three friends and I, we got together and decided that we wanted to be stormtroopers. <laughs> And uh, to justify buying ourselves this very luxury, quite expensive item, um, we joined this thing called the 501st Legion. It's an elite costuming organization, the Star Wars one, of course. And the slogan is bad guys doing good. So they do a lot of stuff for charity. You go to hospitals and, you know, and they raise money for terminally ill kids. And But the real reason is we wanted to be stormtroopers. But we had to somehow <laughs> offset the the karma points of buying ourselves. You had to justify yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I did my induction a couple of weeks ago in Reading in a leisure centre. It's very glamorous. <laughs> Going around terrorising uh, kids and making them cry. <laughs> they they didn't like it. No, most of them do. And obviously they want to have photos of you and stuff. But there's the occasional one that runs and hides. Oh, and yeah. for anybody who hasn't seen, go to James Zabula's Instagram and look for this photo. It's amazing. <laughs> um, uh, why a stormtrooper? You just like them, just the way well, they look? Yeah, that, yeah, I think so. But also because if you join this thing, it's all very, it's all well and good being like Vader. But if they organize a big troop, it's called like trooping. This, this is the uh, term. Um, they only need one Vader. Yeah. So you're not going to get picked, probably. Um, like I say, it's an elitist <laughs> thing. So if you're a stormtrooper, there's a good chance you, you're going to get picked. There was a Comic-Con last week. I didn't go because I was had a gig uh, in Singapore. But two of us went and uh, they were like there with 300 other stormtroopers dressed in this stormtrooper outfit for five hours. There really can be endless amounts of stormtroopers, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you're all the same. Exactly. Unless <laughs> Everyone's you're equal. Unless, well, you're, well. unless you're a little short. Yeah, I am actually the shortest <laughs> out of the four of us. <laughs> Never mind. Um, why don't you tell us about uh, track five? Um, what is it? Oh, this is uh, Radiohead and Weird Fishes. And this reminds me of being in Tokyo, I really associate this song with a place. Um, I remember it's quite controversial when they released it in Rainbow's album. They gave it away for free. Or I think you could pay whatever you like for it. Like if you want to, wanted to pay one pound for it, you could. Um, I paid more than that, just so you know. Um, but I ended up... Actually, yeah, they pulled some voodoo magic with this stuff because I've bought this album three times. I have a... Because I was in Japan, I bought the Japanese CD of it, which is still shrink-wrapped. I never opened it. I have the digital one which I paid more than one pound for. And then I have uh, a vinyl of it as well. And uh, yeah, so this just reminds me of being in Tokyo. Like even the artwork, the uh, had all this lovely, beautiful, um, you know, full color typography. And it's very Tokyo looking like a lot of all the neon sight, the signs everywhere. <clears throat> so yeah, this really, really reminds me of being there and walking around in my bubble with my headphones on. That's a yeah, beautiful song.
Um, obviously, you're you're really into technology. I would say one of the DJs that kind of, if you had to pick like a top five, you'd probably be in there. Was there ever any urge to follow in the footsteps of artists like Richie Houghton or Dubfire and, and play a live show? Or is the pull of DJing just too strong? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, like I say, I love I love playing uh, as a DJ, like doing a lot of the old turntablism uh, skills and tricks. That's still part of the fun for me. You know, I was really resistant to the sync button. And for a while, I used to curse native instruments daily <laughs> <laughs> for what they did. Because <laughs> Pioneer had to copy them, of course, and put the sync button on. Yeah, it's a natural progression. You can't resist it. But um, I probably would rather screw up a mix really badly than press the sync button, and uh, often do, I suppose. Um, there's that. It's a fun part of DJing is mixing and and messing around, you know, scratching and that type of stuff. That's part of the fun. I think when you take that away, for me at least, it becomes a little boring. But like you say, if I was doing something really mega like um, Richie or or Ali, I would have to I'd have to find something to do, like something else within the set. I couldn't, um, yeah, I couldn't just be be still. So I'd have to really yeah take some inspiration from what what they've done because they're yeah R Richie. I saw some some video of his thing the other day. You know, he's like keyboards on either side and all stuff going on so I think I would have to go in that direction and here's something I've thought about it's definitely something my agents thought about <laughs> more than me <laughs> uh, they would love it if I did that ah you know I think the, the other thing is I don't play a lot of music that I've made I think if I made a lot of music myself it would be be different like Pioneer have been trying to get me to use this this sampler thing and it would it would just be full of other people's sounds, so kind of may as well just stick to DJing. And actually, a lot of the stuff you can do with that, you can do with the CDJs anyway. You can use those like samplers if you're prepared enough. Yeah, has has a, like as we were talking to Kink last week, and, mm. and he was speaking about how the technology has just advanced so much that there's really not not very many limits now. Yeah, and he I saw his video they did for that. It's great. Um, yeah, but he makes a lot of tracks himself, so it's perfect for someone like him. And I think he's great because he bridges that gap between DJing and, and live. And I think if that's something that excites me more, I think, than a full live show. If I had an album's worth of music, then it might be something that I would entertain. Do you get in the studio often? Um, I probably make more music when I'm in hotel rooms than I do at home. There's something weird about my my studio at home. I never want to do any work when I'm there. But if I'm in a hotel room with no distractions, it's, it's much easier for me to. And I also feel really inspired. I think I do find being in different spaces inspiring. But when I'm at home, it's just like... Uh, Netflix or something. <laughs> <laughs> the pull of the couch is too strong. Yeah, now I'm going to dress up as a stormtrooper <laughs> and watch Netflix. <laughs> watch Star Wars. Um, has the recent boom in, quote, selector DJ culture, is that something that you've paid attention to? In in what, sorry? Selector DJ What's culture. That? No, I don't know. Obviously not. <laughs> I don't know what this is. So it's like uh, DJs who I would say value their selections over 
skill. Oh, they, right. They're diggers. Yeah, yeah. They usually might, they might produce, but might not. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, give me who do you mean? Oh, give like uh, do you know the festival deck mantle selectors? Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, Anyone right, who cool. plays that? So Cole Super. Yeah, um, yeah. I've not, I've not heard him, but I've got his yeah. fabric mix. Yeah, a lot, lot of variation. So like, um, you know, they'll play many, many different genres. Yeah. Yeah, no, I actually, uh, I enjoy that um, to listen to. Um, I really enjoy uh, like people that will dig for music. One of my favorite DJs is uh, uh, Midland and Ben UFO and both of those guys. They, you know, they're religiously digging for stuff. That's exactly and who I'm talking about. You never know what's coming yeah. next. So, yeah, I do take quite a bit of inspiration from them. Yeah, yeah. What I guess I w- what I wanted to know from you is that style of mixing is is quite different from your the style that you and guys like Sasha hmm. made famous that harmonic mixing style where it's more long. I think um, blended mixes. Yeah, for me it depends on the what I'm playing. and yeah. the source material. Um, if I'm if I've got a section in my set where I'm playing like electro and break so i can chop stuff in and out and you know it becomes almost that sort of hip-hop style um but if i'm playing something that's long and melodic and and flowing if i have a section like that in my set which i usually do at some point um yeah i'll, I'll try and keep it in key and and blend it in a in a way that works nicely you know musically obviously you're, you're quite a perfectionist mm. <laughs> at some point you have to just say enough but do you fall to one side or the other on whether or not you know beat matching or well, you know it's really funny because selection i do like if i mess up a mix or something doesn't sound right i'll berate myself but when i hear other people do it i i like it not because they've screwed up and it's like schadenfreude or anything like that I'm like, ha! i could have done that better nothing like that but because going back to what you what we were talking about earlier, um, the technology makes it so easy now for you to. Well, you know, if you want, you can have it do all the work. If you want, you can have it do none of the work or some of the work. And when I go to a club and I hear a, a DJ work in the mix, it's it's nice. If it's if it's a little loose, you know, it gives it that human element. But I think if I think back to like ten years ago, if I'd, if I'd have heard someone do a wonky mix in a club, I'd have been looking down my nose slightly, you know. <laughs> Ha! You messed up a mix or whatever. But um, but now it's completely different. Yeah, it's thing. funny. It's funny you say that. Actually, we have kind of come full circle on mm. that. Like like uh, ten years ago, being able to mix smoothly on vinyl. I, I used to listen to people's uh, live sets, like when I worked in the record shop, and you know there'd be like a track with a tension string in or something, and someone would put their thumb on the on the platter to slow the track down. It'd go, yeah. you know, you'd hear that tension string just. Use the other track, slow the other one down, or whatever. Not that one, not the one with the tension string in. Now, if you hear that, it's like, oh, nice, they've got the master tempo off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, and it tells you they're they're being a little bit adventurous, maybe hmm. trying to mix tracks that maybe quote shouldn't go together. Yeah, and I think you know you don't have to know how to beat match these days, and I think that's the thing. So when you do hear that, it's like, oh, someone's actually learned how to do it. I've spent the time to do it. I think it's important to to learn personally but you don't have to do it yeah yeah i understand uh, you've been actually playing more of a back to the root style these days um what's that meant for your sets and how has the crowd reacted i feel that um 
now that I'm gigging not all the time and I'm a bit more selective about where I play um, it's enabled me to play more sort of fulfilling sets where I can noodle around a bit and yeah I'm sort of glad that you know there's loads of uh, broken beat stuff around at the moment loads of it and you know for a while there was nothing well not nothing but you know the way that the the music uh, especially dance music industry is it's like remember a time where if you played a prog track it was like oh no you know progressive and John Diggory and all this stuff was a bad word in Mixmag and now it's it's like the number it's it's here in Berlin it's it's huge it's coming back yeah yeah it's it's quite uh quite um mad but that's just how it is yeah yeah and breakbeats are having a very nice renaissance yeah yeah there's loads and loads of you know that sort of Hugo Massian and all that stuff like the aim and break and the think breaks are all special requests all that stuff is uh yeah living a nice renaissance and it's nice to be able to play it without being frowned upon the casting yeah um why don't you tell us about your next track Okay, so this is Echo and the Bunny Men, The Killing Moon. And I don't actually have much to say about this other than I really like it. But what I will say, and is I nearly didn't choose this because uh, it's it gets synced to so many things like movies and TV shows. In fact, I think the first time I heard it was probably um, watching Donnie Darko. But I also noticed it was on Billions on Sky Atlantic the other day and something else on Netflix it's been on. So uh, I almost didn't pick it, but I think that I think it's going to continue to just be synced forever because of the, the strength of the song. I think the the songwriter was like, you know, I know that all, of all the music we've made, no one else has got this song that we've made, and it's probably one of the best songs in the world, or something he said rather <laughs> arrogantly. But um, but he's right; it's brilliant. And but he he does actually credit the song to uh, to God he said he, he woke up one morning and the lyrics were just there so he's, he says that God is the co-writer of the song that's what he believes in Fate up against a windmill through the thick and thin he will wait on you give yourself to
Um, I know 2017 was a tough year for you personally. You had uh, some family loss um, while you were recording the Balance Mix, which I also know was uh, kind of an ordeal for you. Um, I don't want to linger on this subject too much because I know you've spoken about it at length, but uh, do you feel like you've come out the other side? Yeah, I do feel like I've come out the other side. I think I've just got to the age where people have started getting ill and family members. Uh, yeah, departing and that type of thing. And uh, everyone has it at some point and you have to just, yeah, get through it. Um, music, obviously, is very helpful. And actually that balance mix was was something I'm really grateful to have had to have distracted me. And um, it's something to really get lost in, it was. And, and I did. And it was... Uh, I think you can hear that in the music that I chose as well. How is uh, how's the future looking now? I've heard about a project that will see you play start to finish. Oh, yeah. Well, off the back of the balance thing, I wanted to do some sets that were kind of a bit like that, where I would obsess over the music and scrutinize every aspect of the night and take that same uh, approach to the DJ set as I did to the balance mix. So... Yeah, so we're going to do this detail thing where I spend a, a long time finding the music just for this one one event. Um, so I get to play f yeah, from start to finish and start at 100 BPM and you know end up somewhere else far, far away from that. It's really for me, I suppose, as much as the, everyone else that comes to it. Yeah. I know you've wanted to do that for a while, I think, a couple mm -hmm. of years. Well, when we did the launch of the balancing in London, I did a small gig for like 100 people and I got to sort of do that and it was amazing. But there, there were so many things that weren't right about the night. Like I was DJing up on stage, um, hidden behind this uh, this DJ booth. Actually, I was on a, a sort of wobbly platform because I was too short to reach the, the decks properly. I think they had a band in the night before and they, they'd usually have a DJ booth there, but... It was all cobbled together. So even though that night was amazing, um, you know, the lights were wrong. And like I say, the DJ booth was a bit of a disaster. So I wanted to do that again, but have a real control over it, everything. Um, the sound system, the light. I think Steve Lawler did something similar a couple of years back, a lights out thing where he... Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I remember that was his Global Underground CD. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, that's right. I think he also, it, it stressed him out quite a bit. Yeah, trying to to. Well, I here's the thing. Um, I didn't want to call the night detail because I felt that it put too much pressure. Like, you know, we're going to do this night. What if I'm I'm thinking like, oh, what if something goes wrong with the drinks or the security? <laughs> I'm thinking of all these things which are far beyond anything I should be thinking about. But if you're going to call the night detail, it better be. You know, you better have everything covered. Um, so I was really against this name, but uh, my manager and best friend who won't be after this night <laughs> he uh he was like no we're calling it detail if you think of a better name that cool and i couldn't think of one so that's it so you won't have any specialty gonna... cocktails a la richie Hotton? uh well no no i don't think so <laughs> but i will yeah i'll be there with like a twitchy eye and how, how much pre preparation do you usually put into your regular dj sets 
you know, there's what's that thing? It's I think it's called Parkinson's law, where the work expands to fill the time available. I think that's what it is. And I suffer. I think a lot of people do. I suffer greatly from that. Like if I've got a month to prepare prepare for a gig, it will take a month. If I've got a week, it will take a week. So I'll always work right up until the, the deadline, regardless of of how much time I have. So like even for the gig I'm going to play later tonight, I'll probably be still going through music until I have to get the taxi to the venue. It's really annoying. (laughs) (laughs) It's one thing I wish I could change about myself, but I'm always like, well, what if there's that one? I haven't checked out that one, that one track that someone sent me or whatever. It could be the one. And, you know, you get sent loads of tracks and most of them are not the one. Not the one. (laughs) Not the one. Uh, Yeah, but you, you can't, you literally cannot listen to everything that comes out. There's just so much stuff. I mean, I don't even go on Beatport anymore. I just, I shop at, um, I go to Clone and Hard Wax. And I know that there's an editorial there, which, and it's sort of editorial control by the staff there. I'm going to listen to stuff that I might find. And then obviously I get sent like promos and things. Yeah, quality control helps, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think like maybe uh, Midland and Venufo have that as well because... They are they are real diggers, so I think it's it could be a trait of many many DJs. Actually, I was with Ben at DC10, and he was telling me that uh, <laughs> his girlfriend's made him or told him he needs to get another hobby outside of DJing. And he was telling me about um, how he's he's got into this old video game. I think it's Skyrim. It's a super old game, and he started playing that um, as another you know outlet because uh, I've I've kind of done the same someone bought me a PlayStation VR headset so now I can be found at home <laughs> with a VR headset on although I can't really play many of the racing games because I get uh, virtual reality simulation sickness have you heard of that? no I haven't I think it's called that yeah yeah it's like motion sickness yeah yeah and there's a you know there's like Wipeout which is that classic PlayStation game you can play that in virtual reality and it's amazing for a couple of races until you want to throw up. <laughs> yeah, so I like to do the the ones where you you're kind of still. Um, why don't you tell us about your next track? Um, the next track is this is uh, Depeche Mode. It's no good, and there's many more classic Depeche Mode track Depeche Mode tracks that I could have chosen, but this was the first one that I bought, so I wanted to be sort of honest about this. Um, I think uh, there was a TV program that was on late at night and I I just sort of got cable television I was sort of spoiled as a kid and I had cable TV in my room when I was like 15 or something Uh, and this came on and I remember it had this super weird video I later found out that it's Anton Corbin that did all the Depeche Mode videos and it's like Dave Garn doing a gig with a fur coat and in this sort of cheesy sort of sleazy club Actually, it reminds me of some of the some of the gigs I used to do, um, and yeah, they had this wicked this wicked track, and I didn't really know how much I loved Depeche Mode until they had this Depeche Mode night on on this cable channel, and I'd you know they started playing like Personal Jesus and all the all the hits, um, enjoy the silence and stuff, and so yeah, when this came out, I went and bought. I think it was two CDs. They released two uh, lots of remixes. There was a Speedy J mix of it and an amazing hard floor one. 
which has obviously got a acid line, huge acid line in it. Uh, and I also bought a vinyl of it, and that was it. Then I just started collecting. I went backwards and, and collected all the the old back catalogue stuff and became an obsessive fan about them. And then I sort of dropped that and then got into Talk Talk afterwards. Um, but yeah, this is my first Depeche Mode purchase. Last question. You're shipwrecked in space, you're lost forever. You've got food, you've got water, and we obviously know your soundtrack. What three things do you take with you to stay sane? You can pick a book, 
a piece of studio gear, and one film or television show. Right. Well, the studio gear is going to be easy. It's a teenage engineering OP1, and it's it is sort of like playing a video game. So I'd probably be I probably wouldn't need anything else actually. Yeah, just take that. Just it's, that. I mean, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really read many books. You know, I listen to a lot of um, audio books because I spend a lot of my time in queues at airports and it keeps me sane to have some audio books going on. Also, it's great if you've had a gig and you're really amped up after you get back to the hotel. It's often hard to sleep. Put an audio book on. And it's also great if your ears are ringing slightly. You haven't got to listen to the to the whistling. Um, so I do listen to a lot of audio books, but I can't remember the last time I actually read a book. You so. can take an audio book then. Oh really? Maybe I should take something that's going to keep me sane, like you say. So I could. So I should probably take like uh, Echo Toll, The Power of Now. Some. There you go. Some wisdom. He has a very strange voice as well, which is also quite soothing. So the audio books, the way to go. Anyone that has hasn't read that and is going through some trouble, get the audio book. Don't bother with the the, the actual book. And the film or TV show. Oh. Hmm. I'm going to throw you a curveball out, so I'm not going to say Star Wars. I'm taking Quantum Leap with Dr. Sam Beckett. You know, and also it'd, I'd live in some hope that I might make the next leap home. <laughs> this isn't the final reality. <laughs> exactly. I'd, find, I'd find, find my way back someday. And uh, your last track. This is kind of a fun one. A lot of the rest of the songs that I've chosen are, are pretty serious, I suppose. This is... DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, live at Union Square, November 1988. And I had this on a tape, and the quality was terrible. And actually, the recording is really terrible anyway. But this is just for the last minute and a half of the track. Jazzy Jeff does the Transformer scratch, and I think it's one of the first times that he does it. And I used to rewind this and listen to it over and over again. And when I had just one turntable and a crossfader, I would practice this, listening to this. And it's so... It's such a fun track. It's got Ready Roxy beatboxing in it. Will Smith in there sounding like he's about 12 years old. I think he's 17, actually, he says it at the start. Yeah, and I think I can pinpoint, you know, a lot of the the things that I do in my DJ sets almost back to, back to this track. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Are y'all down with this? Let's dance. How many y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that record? You know it. You know it. Come on, DJ Jerry doing the wheels of steel. Something y'all never experienced before. The DJ Jazzy Jeff. I want y'all to bust the move and it goes something like this. This is a Rock Attack exclusive. Transformer. <laughs> 
Jazzy Jeff out there or what? Alright. Now I know y'all saying that MC up there is talking a lot of trash, right? Right? <laughs> uh, I know y'all saying that MC is talking a lot of trash, but can he hold his own? Can he? 
can't get into something a little like this. You go one fold the treble and two fold the bass. Come on, Jazzy Jeff, and let's rock. It's like this, y'all. It's like this, y'all. It's like this, like this, it's like this, y'all. The time is now, and the place is here for everybody to observe the new rap of the year. Behold the fresh prince, your excellency. Now watch me as I display my lyrics and wizardry. People often ask why I'm a hell of a guy, and I say, well, I guess it's because I use the same patterns of poetic verse, which make me absolutely stunning. It doesn't my words, but I will admit that there was a time when I reasonably doubted my talent to rhyme, but now I'm back high-powered and I'm unparalleled. I'm beyond comparison to any mortal cell. People put me down, they said my rhymes were frail and feeble, but now I'm back in the ain't no equal to me. I fight and win against the whole damn crew. And like your fourth grade teacher, I'll dismiss you from wherever you happen to be. Cause from my pedestal I rule. Can't you see that I'm the master of rap recital? I'm the Fresh Prince and I am your idol The ultimate dream to a rhyme spectator The greater innovators that form conveyor The slayer of enemies that provoke my rebuttal I'm mystifying, fastening and befuddling Every audience leaving themselves out My powerful poetry reflexes and astounds individuals No matter who they might be So your answer's the best Cause I'm telling you that it's me The Fresh Prince and I'll rock the house Oh, hold up, security Do we have some security? All right, all right, it's cool, it's cool. We're we gonna get back to the party. We're gonna get back to the party.